speak into a few of these things that we are giving towards. I want to I want to really ask you to begin to pray for them. Next week, we'll start putting uh, some items in your bulletin. I just didn't want to overwhelm you with that as we come up to these weeks, but uh, we'll be watching also some some promotional videos for it. But uh, it's just a great opportunity to just, as I was praying, I've been praying for probably about six months, normally around January time frame, I start uh, praying about uh, what God would want me to do. And then I'd say around June, July uh, time frame, uh, God began to just work on my heart that, uh, that, that, listen, this is what he was putting on my heart. Take an offering and give it all away. Amen? Well, well that's kind of a little weak there. I know he did it in my heart first, and it's got to work down into your heart. But in years past, we've taken offerings, and we've kind of worked on things here. And uh, But this year, God just kind of impressed on my heart to kind of think kind of locally here, uh, a, a project that we could give towards, and then, of course, children abroad, and then Hope International that just uh, is such a wonderful opportunity. It's kind of like a uh, mini, kind of little mini gospel banks. They kind of go to these third world countries, places where uh, kind of you'll, you'll see some, uh, even some testimonies next week of people that they didn't even feel human uh, in types of areas like that. And uh, this ministry goes into places like that and they will loan them just a few dollars where you know, you and I, a few dollars is nothing, but to them it's everything. And they can maybe even get like a sewing machine and they can kind of start a business. But as they have received just a few dollars, uh, they begin to go through discipleship. And many of them, they trust Christ as their Savior. Uh, churches are started. And it's just a wonderful uh, thing that we can give towards. So we're going to do everything that comes in. We're just going to divide amongst the three uh, organizations that we're giving towards. We'll take the money for the Operation Christmas Child that comes in a third of whatever comes in and we're just going to go on a big massive shopping spree it's going to be a fun day and then we will let the children uh, pack all those things but as mike said you as a family if you still want to put together a box we highly recommend that you do that as a family and you can bring those in on the 14th or whatever those days were yep 17th and 24th and so just super uh, excited about uh, what god is going to do uh, through our Thanksgiving offering. Now, those of you that had power last night, let me see if you had power, not if you didn't. If you had it, I'd like for you to raise your hand. All right? Now, after church, those of us that did not have power, we're going to make sure that we can get showers at your house in the days to come, right? A couple? A couple of you? No. Seriously, um, uh, be, be in prayer for those that are without. Um, I was kind of a little... Uh, kind of cavalier with it this morning. I'm saying, hey, we just roll with the punches and we're all good with it. But I do, I, I do want to say there are there are situations that uh, where massive power outages like this are very, uh, very burdensome to them. You think of uh, elderly assisted living type places where there's multiple floors and there's no elevators and stuff like that. And uh, so please be in prayer for uh, those types of, of situations and forgive me for my uh, just kind of roll with the punches type of um, spirit that I had here this morning. I do desire to uh, be empathetic, uh, but I will take a shower at one of your houses tomorrow, please, okay? So it's not so uh, cold. But no, just in all seriousness, uh, please do pray for them. Philippians chapter number one, and my, my heart uh, coming into this week was so overflowing from the amazing luncheon that we had last week and so uh, i'd like for us to do that again today so hopefully you all brought food all right 
And uh, but no, just our Culture Sunday uh, last week and uh, those that uh, kind of dressed up in their part and it was just, it was great. And then the food. And my, and my heart found myself coming back to, back to this idea and I would love to kind of kick the can a little bit further, so to speak. Um, this morning, the message is going to be different. Uh, but I've entitled the message this, The Gospel's Community. And when I think of Redwood, and as I said last week when we were kind of talking about the culture and the race war that is going on in our country, really, and across the globe, uh, and how the Gospel is the answer. It is what you and I should be saying. It is what you and I should be living. It is what you and I should be thinking. We should be thinking in a gospel unity, uh, one mankind, one problem, one remedy in Jesus, and it brings the unity that that, um, that, that brings. And as I've been pondering that, I've been getting to kind of think about, to think about Redwood in general, and then to think about kind of just the local church communities that the gospel brings about. And uh, my heart will, uh, it was just kind of overflowing, and I desire to once again uh, speak into this area. Notice what it says in verse number one of Philippians chapter number one Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus which are at Philippi with the bishops and deacons. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. I found myself doing that for you all this week and just our church. I was just so overwhelmed with kind of the, just the gospel love that we do have here and the, just the ethnic uh, just backgrounds that, uh, that we find in this room. And so I thank my God. He's, Paul is saying, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, the church there at Philippi. Always in every prayer of mine for you all making requests with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Even as is meet for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, ye all are partakers of my grace. Remember, the Paul is writing to the church of Philippi from a, from a prison, kind of more of like a, kind of like a house prison uh, type of place. And uh, so that, that's what he's saying. Like in, when he says, in my bonds, he's literally in kind of a house arrest type thing. Verse number 8, for God is my record, how greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. Now listen, that, that last sentence may give some of us a bit of, a bit of concern. Look at verse number 8, it will be up on the screen. For God is my record, how greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. Or the way he's referencing there is like kind of the, 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 the guts of, the, the, the affections that, that Christ would have had. From what we know of Paul, he is a pretty tough guy. The Apostle Paul would have been considered uh, what some would maybe coin a man's man, but he's moved with enough, um, he, he's got such a connection with these people here at the Church of Philippi and these friends that he says, hey, hey I long, I long to be with you in uh, the, the, this yearning that was characterized by this deep affection. And what was 
his deep affection? Well, it was an affection that was sourced in the Lord Jesus Christ himself. This is the type of affection that, that took Jesus Christ to the cross. It was the type of affection that Jesus Christ had to be arrested, to be, to be beaten, to be lied about and tortured, and even ultimately to give his life for mankind. So this is obviously a deep and abiding love, a deep abiding affection that the Apostle Paul had for this group of believers, this community that the Gospel had brought together in Philippi. And so Paul is saying, hey, hey, I yearn for that. This deep love for one another. May I say that that's what church ought to be like? That's what church ought to be like. You ought to, you ought to yearn. You ought to, you ought to long to be around the other brothers and sisters in Christ that are in this room. Listen, we didn't have power last night, but I promise you that wasn't going to keep me from being able to, to be with my brothers and sisters in Christ that make up Redwood here. And he longed for this group of believers. So how did he get to feel this way? How did he have such, a, such affection, these kind of bows and the bows that the Christ had as he, as he gave himself? How did he have such a love and such a compassion for these individuals? For us to understand that, we've got to go to the beginning of how the church began. And so we're going to go to Acts chapter 16, and we're going to see how this gospel community that was there at Philippi, how it began. We're going to begin in verse number 11 of Acts chapter number 16. Therefore, loosing from Troas, we came with a straight course to Samothracia, and the next day to Neapolis, and from thence to Philippi, which is the chief city of that part of Macedonia and the colony. And we're in the city abiding certain days. Notice verse 13. And on the Sabbath, we went out of the city by a riverside where prayer was wont to be made or where it was accustomedly made. And we sat down and spoke unto the women which resorted thither, that had gathered. And a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple of the city of Thyatira, which worshipped God, heard us, whose heart the Lord opened, that she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. And when she was baptized in her household, she besought us, saying, If ye have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and abide there. And she constrained us, or she encouraged them to to, 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 to abide there in her house. So I want to start with number one, the professional of society. As what makes up this, this gospel community, this, the, the, this amazing church that, that, that Paul had such affection for, that he had such love for. Why was it so with these people? Well, we see that it starts here with Lydia. Lydia is from the city of Thyatira. This tells us that she is likely ethnically Asian. She has also a house in Philippi. And so this tells us that economically, uh, this woman is very wealthy. Both Thyatira as well as Philippi, they were major metropolitan areas. And so the portrait that we see that is, de that, that, uh, that is developing of Lydia is that she is a woman that is in the fashion industry. Basically, no doubt, she is the, uh, what you and I would maybe kind of coin as the uh, a CEO of a fashion uh, business. And so thinking kind of in today's terms, in kind of the way you and I live, she would most likely maybe have a house 
in San Francisco, Los Angeles, maybe also one in New York or something like that, maybe even like Paris or, you know, so she was a woman of, of means and she most likely had multiple different places where she lived. And so she had done very, very well for herself. But Lydia is also what the Bible calls in this text a God worshiper or a God fearer. Now what that means is, is that she would have she would have rejected paganism. She would have rejected the polytheism that would have been in the land. She would have not believed that there was dozens and dozens of types of gods, that there was not a, a god of the wind and the rain and the snow and of purple or of the fashion or anything like that. So Lydia has come to believe that, that there's one God. And so she's here and she's, she's listening to the teaching of the Jews on the Sabbath day. She's trying to, she's trying to grasp what it means. She doesn't believe in the polytheistic many gods, and she's believing that there's one God. She's, she, she, she's kind of she's come to that knowledge, and she's trying to, how does that, how does that fit into my family and into my fashion world, so to speak? And so this is an important point in the story of Lydia's conversion. She's an intellect, and by all indications, she is a seeker. There has been a group of women that have gathered by the riverside and uh, it was a custom for them to pray and she's there and, and, they're, and they're kind of like on a Bible study, so to speak. And they're kind of hearing the Scriptures explained and so she would be listening to the Torah. She, she knows that God gave His people the law. She knows that God would have given His people the Ten Commandments. And she understands as she hears those Ten Commandments and as she uh, kind of hears God's law that she keeps some of them well. I think you probably can go through the Ten Commandments and be like, yeah, you know what, I, I keep some of those well. And then she's also probably coming to a realization that she's broken some of those laws in her life as well. She's likely come to the concept that she is a breaker of the law and she needs some form of potential atonement, but she's without the good news of Jesus yet. She's without the good news of the atonement that is found in Christ. And so she's a little confused. And it is in this setting that Paul shows up and he starts to kind of fill in the, the spiritual gaps, so to speak, in what she had begun to, 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 to know. And so can a picture kind of a, a Bible study of some kind, they're, they're praying, they're learning, and the Apostle Paul kind of shows up on the scene and he's, he's like, hey, okay, this is, what, uh, you, you, this is what you're missing in the Old Testament. And he's bringing the message of Christ. If you recall, Paul would have been transitioning to a Gentile-type world now. The Jews had forsaken him, and so now he's now preaching Christ and he's preaching to the Gentile. So he begins to explain how God gave his law to, 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 to reveal what, um, that, that they were broken and that they were in need of Christ. You can see that in Paul's teachings. This is, this is what he was, his MO was. He would come and he would preach Christ. And so Paul, he, he engages Lydia's reasoning. He engages her intellect. She's there. She's listening. And then the, and then the Scriptures tell us, then finally, her heart is open. She, she, she experiences uh, salvation. And it's through the impartation of this knowledge 
that she becomes a believer in Christ. And in fact, she, uh, after she trusted Christ as her Savior, she's, she's baptized and her family also trusts Christ and they're baptized and they open up their home and they say, you know, to, hey, Paul, you know, hey, why don't you reside here? No doubt she probably had a nice place to live. And for Paul, who was a tent maker and who was bivocational, this probably would have been a nice retreat for him. It would have been a nice time of, you know, just kind of the grind of the faithfulness of his, his to the ministry of, of just a refreshing break for him. And this is how the church at Philippi begins. And this is where his love begins for affection for these people that he talks about in the book of Philippians. The, this conversion of this high society businesswoman through intellectual engagement with the gospel. But the story, like the church, becomes more complex. As you continue to read down through Acts 16, we see that, 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 that Philippi reveals the, uh, the, the, the diversity of the church that's being planted there. Verse 16 of Acts 16, And it came to pass, as we went to prayer, a certain damsel, possessed with the spirit of divination, met us which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. The same followed Paul and us and cried, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. And in this did she many days. But Paul, being grieved, turned and said to the Spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out of the same hour. And when her masters saw that the hope of their gains was gone, she could no longer foretell the future so now their money their system their their way of really kind of abusing this woman is now gone and so they caught paul and silas and they drew him into the marketplace unto the rulers and so we see paul's love for this group of people there starts with kind of the professional of the society let me say secondly the marginalized of society. This little girl stands in absolute contrast to Lydia. Where Lydia is Asian, this girl most likely is Greek. Where Lydia is in control, is an intellect, this little girl is impoverished, enslaved, and exploited. Where Lydia is the seeker, the little girl proclaims the way of salvation now of course she's doing this under demonic control but she believes that salvation is available just as every single demon does and so while paul and lydia they meet in the context of a formal kind of orderly group meeting paul and the slave girl meet as she follows this missionary crew and is always screaming at the top of her lungs Day after day, the text says for days and finally you can kind of just see in the text they're fine paul's just had enough you know, I mean, he's trying to, he's trying to teach, he's, he's trying to preach, and there's always this person just screaming and yelling and interrupting, and finally, he just rebukes the demon within her, and the demon leaves. So this, this Lydia's in control, so to speak, and, but this little girl is out of control. And I want you to watch how God goes, goes after her. Paul doesn't say, hey, you know what? I've got a 
you know, I've got a Bible study that's going to be here, you know, you know, in the next week. And, and I'd like for you really to kind of be a part of that. He doesn't invite her to that. He doesn't invite or he doesn't engage her on an intellectual level. He does not appear in this text to reason with her because she is not because she is irrational. Instead, in an act of the Holy Spirit's power, he rebukes and expels the spirit. In an instant, she finds the salvation that she had been demonically mocking. The contrast between these two conversions is it's startling. It's also very instructive. With Lydia, hear me, with Lydia, the gospel gets at her heart when Paul engages her intellectually. With the slave girl, the gospel gets at her heart when Paul engages her spiritually. In both instances, the Holy Spirit grants new birth and repentance. The gospel takes on the context of the personal need. Paul is showing us here early on at the beginning of the, uh, of, the, of the church at Philippi, the beginning of it, that he was a missionary that was willing to become all things to all people. And in 1 Corinthians 9 verse 22 says, To the weak became I as weak, that I may gain the weak. I am made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. And so Paul is using the the, the power of the gospel in the context in which it is needed at that moment. And so with Lydia, it's a very intellectual. He's teaching and he's expounding upon what they had already kind of gathered there to learn for the, for, for the law and the Torah basically to be read. And he comes in and he expounds upon that. And then, of course, with this slave girl, the marginalized, the abused, the being used for money gain. There's the spiritual amazing power of rebuking the demon that's within her but the conversions in our text are not done the deliverance and the conversion of the possessed slave girls an exciting scene but it only intensifies like a verse number 20 and brought them to the magistrate saying this was would have been the the, the owners of this uh, of this girl these men being jews do exceedingly trouble our city and teach customs which are not lawful for us to receive, neither to observe being Romans. And the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates rent off their clothes and commanded to beat them. And when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely, who having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. And so Lydia, Kind of the professional of society. You've got the you've got the slave girls. She'd be uh, kind of uh, those that, that that would be on the fringe, those that are marginalized, those that are oppressed. And then you see, thirdly, the average worker of society. See now, when you and I think of, and it says that they cast their feet in stocks. What you and I often think of of stocks is kind of the uh, the kind of the 1700s New England colonial right you've, you've been there maybe before and it's kind of like the wooden piece and you know they kind of do one of those things have you how many have seen one of those picture of that or maybe seen it in person right that's oftentimes of what we think of no no doubt that would have been miserable i'm not i'm not saying that's you know a picnic in the park let's all do it this afternoon but when you think of the um when you think of the roman empire stocks they were they were drastically different historians would 
describe these contraptions with, uh, they would literally cause the body to be so distorted that literally their joints and often their, uh, sometimes their bones would even break, but often they would kind of try to try to get them to the right position where their body would kind of seize up, so to speak, and there would be such searing pain, and then they would just leave them. And so I want you to, I want you to kind of think about this. The jailer is not necessarily commanded to treat his prisoners this way. The magistrate simply said, I want you to keep the man safe. Notice what it says in verse 23 again. And when they had laid many stripes upon them, they're the ones that had beaten him. They cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely, who having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. We're, 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 we're dealing with a jailer that, that's very good at his job. And he potentially likes it more than he should. But when it comes to, you know, one enjoying their job, I don't think anybody could out-enjoy their job more than Paul, because look at verse number 25. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. I mean, listen, if you, if you didn't know the Lord and you were any kind, you know, opposed to Christ or opposed to the gospel, opposed to the message that was now beginning to spread through uh, the disciples and the Apostle Paul, man, listen, he would have frustrated you. There would have been no human alive that would have been more frustrating than him. It didn't matter to him that, you know, that, that, that he was beaten. It didn't matter that he was in prison. It didn't matter any of those things. And so, you know, when, when someone would accuse, hey, you know, you could die, he'd be like, hey, die is gain, right? I mean, just, you, you, couldn't, you, you couldn't annoy this man. And they say, hey, we're going to torture you. We're going to beat you. Paul would say in, in Romans 8, for I reckon that the suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. If you want to kill him, he's cool with that because it dies the gain. I get to be with Christ. If you want to have him still live here, and he's like, great, then I get to minister uh, to the church and whatnot. Paul is like what Richard Sibbs, a great old Puritan, used to say and said in his book, Bruised Reed, everyone united with Christ is a man who can never be conquered. Listen to that. I mean, that's great. He's from the 1600s. Great book, Bruised Reed. Everyone united with Christ is one who can never be conquered. And so he, Paul, and Silas, they're singing and they're praying. And then you know the story, right? It's midnight, singing and praying. And what happens? Earth begins to shake, right? Literally, the, the cell doors just open. They're all completely now free to go. And the jailer comes, he's getting ready to, what's he getting ready to do? He's getting ready to just kind of kill himself, just kind of lean over on a sword, just to literally cut it to die. And then Paul and Silas like, wait, 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 wait a minute. We're all here. Amazing story. Another unique conversion story to help us develop the portrait of what a gospel community looks like. See, the jailer is not like the first two ladies. The jailer's basically just a blue-collar guy that is manning a jail cell. He's not interested in the conversations of the intellectuals. He's not necessarily going to the Bible studies, learning about all those different things. He's not one that is, uh, you know, gaining money from the spiritual realm. Nothing like that. 
He's more like a guy who just wants to get to work and do his job and get home and have a nice meal and so he can watch a ball game. He's probably not the guy who sits around all too much and is pondering, hey, what is the, what is the meaning of life? He's duty-bound. He just wants to do his job well. He just wants to honor his employers and get back to his well-ordered house. So on the scale of kind of a Lydia to a slave girl, you kind of put the jailer, what, just somewhere in the middle. I don't mean to call many of us in this room just kind of average, but you know what I mean by that. It's not meant to be offensive in any way. You've kind of got the professional, kind of the, the CEO, owner of her own business, the marginalized slave girl who's being abused for gain, and then you've kind of got just the average Joe, just, just going to work, blue collar, and just being a, so and quote unquote, a good employer. Not rich, but certainly not poor. And like a lot of blue collar people of today, this jailer, he, he has come to identify himself with his job. These, they're the people today who cannot think of themselves except for what they do. And perhaps this man is no different. We see that this is in his case because when he thinks he's lost everything that matters to him, what does he want to do? He wants to kill himself. He can't see beyond necessarily his job. Now you do know that most likely those that would have been over him, he would have been in massive trouble for what had happened. And so some of that is certainly playing into this story. But he identifies with his work. But Paul shows him a better identity, a more fulfilling reality, and a greater, a greater duty that trans, transcends everything this guy has previously known. So when they have the chance to run away, they stay. And the jailers are blown away. While Paul engaged Lydia through the intellect, he engages the slave girl through spiritual power, he engages the jailer through a living witness to a miracle. Hear me. All three conversions mentioned in Acts 16 were from totally different backgrounds, and yet the gospel was what the answer was for their transformation. The gospel was what brought these individuals together. It is from his experience with the Philippians and other missionary journeys that Paul has adopted the position that the gospel cannot be stopped by the social economics, racial, or religious walls we often build up. Let me say that again. The gospel cannot be stopped by the social economics, racial, and religious walls we often build up. Did we not talk about that last week? And we are seeing it now through the pages of the book of Acts 16. Paul saying, hey, I got such a longing for you. I've got such an affection for you. Why? Because of the community that the gospel brings together. Brings the professional, so to speak. Brings the, the marginal and everyone in between. And it takes down the, 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 the social statuses. It takes down the religious walls. Race, everything. Now let me tell you what is wrong, what, what, that it's wrong when we, what, what, so often we, we read into these Bible stories. I think that sometimes we read the Bible and we think that everybody we read about is different from us. 
I think sometimes we believe that, that Lydia got converted and never wrestled with doubt or never wrestled with fear again. We think that the slave girl, she comes to know Christ and she never struggled with bitterness. She never struggled with anger or the ability to forgive again. Or we think that this duty-bound jailer uh, was converted and immediately he became so filled with the Spirit that he was going to lead the rest of the, you know, the, the, the Roman uh, leaders there to Christ in, in Philippi. But do you suppose there is a chance that as the church at Philippi grew, Lydia started to struggle with pride? It kind of it started with her. Kind of started in her house, right? Most likely, she funded probably a lot at the beginning, right? Then imagine as the church begins to grow. Listen, people that have been in Redwood for 40, 35, 40, 45 years, sometimes it's like, sometimes the influence isn't as strong as it was early, early, early on. Sometimes there's a power struggle. Again, I don't know. The text doesn't say that. But is it, is it okay to kind of think about this? Sometimes we just think that Lydia was just this perfect person. Now Lydia that's in our church, she's a perfect person, absolutely. But we're talking about this person here in the text. You think maybe she thought, well, my ideas were better. What about the slave girl? Do you suppose that as she gets older that she might have some relational issues? Do you think that perhaps she might struggle with trusting people? Particularly men? Do you think that our blue-collar worker, jailer might need the Lord to kind of soften his heart a little bit, to kind of warm him up? To where he can't just view every single person as kind of another Roman soldier or a prisoner that, you know, you got to just be rough and gruff? Do you think maybe the Lord kind of had to do a work? Maybe this is the kind of stuff that Paul was encouraging them with Romans 1.16 being confident of this very thing. He which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. You think? Right? As he's kind of writing this church, this letter to Philippi, and he's kind of going through, and right in the middle of it, he says, hey, God's going to work on you. What he started at the beginning, there's going to be great change in your life and we're thankful for that and so if you and i as i close if we were honest with ourselves i think you and i would have to admit that we tend to prefer to do life with people who are similar to us we live in neighborhoods and associate with people who look like us act like us we want to go to church with people that are similar to us. That's a natural tendency of all people. But the gospel, it's not natural. Look around. Look around. That's awesome. I thank my God, my God for you all this week. 
The gospel is not natural. The gospel blows the doors of our perfect communities. And He creates a whole new community that never had formed without it. Apart from the supernatural reconciliation and ministry of grace, rich fashion experts like Lydia are not going to do life with poor and formerly demonic little girls. It's not happening apart from the gospel. So last week we began kind of just this, kinda, uh, this is like a two-week, I guess. I didn't intend for it to be that way, but this kind of two-week idea of how can we redeem the race and culture war? It's with the gospel. It's with Jesus. It's with the one mankind understanding that we are all from Adam. I understand functionally we have ethnicities. we got different colors as we look at people. We've got different languages. I, I get that. But you and I, we've got to so biblically think accurately that there's one mankind, there's one problem, and that is the problem of sin. And the only way to fix that is through Jesus Christ. And when Jesus Christ is the message, when the grace of God is the message, the mercy of God is the message, it brings about an amazing unity that you find here in the book of Acts early on as Philippi is starting. The supernatural community makes Paul bolder in ministry because he's, it gives him a clear picture of the gospel's effect among people. And here's what that is. The gospel creates a new reality that deepens our understanding of the world and our place in it. I'd love for you to try to remember that this morning. The gospel creates a new reality that deepens our understanding of the world and our place in it. Remember, the only separation that really matters is God and us. And let's stand in that gap. Understand the world. Yes, there are problems. They are a dime a dozen. You look on the news every single day and it rips our hearts out. But what should our message be? What should our life be living? The unity that can be found in Jesus Christ. Rich, poor, colors, ethnicities, all of that begins to pale in comparison when we lift up Christ. The Gospels community. You know what it's full of? All different type of people. And as I thought about Redwood this week, and I thought about last week, man, that food was good. Hey, good job on the spam, Mike. It's good. A couple different kinds of lumpia. Hallelujah. You're going to feel, okay, I'm sorry I'm not remembering your food. All right, Swedish meatballs. Hallelujah. All of it was good. It was all good. You know what's more important than the food that we enjoyed last week? And that is the love that we have for one another. You know, what I, you, want, you know what I want Sundays to be like? What I want church to be like? Anytime that we gather together? And I can't wait to get with the family. One in Christ. Doesn't matter the color. Doesn't matter the social or economic status of anybody. We are all being confident of this very thing. 
that he which hath begun a good work is going to perform it to the day of Jesus Christ. He's still working on me, right? And he's still working on you. And let's let God use one another in this gospel community for his honor and his glory. And let's reach the world as we love one another. What did, what did Jesus say? The world's going to know that you're my follower. You're, you're my disciple. I love that you have one for another. Let's be a church that absolutely radically loves one another and then impacts the world through that love. Every head bowed, every eye closed.